0: Greetings from Covenant Community of L.A.J. Georgia. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these messages God has provided to our fellowship from His word. May He bless you richly as you seek Him. We'd like to invite you to be with us in person someday soon. and for information on that, visit us at Covenantcommunityj.com. And now let's open up God's Word. All right. What an awesome time of worship. I love you guys. Y'all are so much fun. Oh man, worshiping with you guys is such a joy. I'm so grateful. Well, let's jump in. We we love the Word of God around here. So we're going to dive right in. So I hope you're ready to go. Uh, we are beginning a brand new series. You guys who have been here for a good little bit, you guys survived a pretty long series through Colossians. So congratulations for that. Y'all did a great job <laughs> working through that. But man, what amazing truths we got out of that. But we're beginning a new series and we're calling it gospel stewardship and the whole idea is that just like Steve said that we've got to have our relationship with our possessions and the things that we own in tune with what God desires for us we need to see those things through the lens of the gospel and so as we get this I want you to get this because I think this is of critical importance for the church to get this and and I know we're talking about stewardship but this is the guts of this thing if you're really going to understand it that Jesus called us to follow him as Lord, as Lord. And, and if he's the Lord of our hearts, then he is Lord of everything we have and everything we are. He is Lord. He is the sole and absolute authority over us and everything in our possession. That's how we come to Christ. He is Lord. And when we come to Jesus for salvation, we don't come to him to a good teacher. We come to him as Lord. We submit and surrender our lives to him. And because we do that, that works down into everything we are. It filters down into every part of our lives and everything that we have. It changes ownership and it belongs to him. And as we talk about stewardship, before we can really dive into stewardship, you have to get this issue of lordship right. Because there's a danger in America... And I think this is true probably anywhere. I don't think it was true even in this passage that we're going to read in Mark 10 in a second. But there's a danger for us to love Jesus as a good teacher and to be a fan of all that he kind of has to offer to treat him as a trusted advisor or a great example to be followed. But hesitate to submit to him as Lord. And when we get this, that, that this series is ultimately about lordship. Yes, we are calling it stewardship, but it's about lordship. And, and the reason I say that is because I believe when you understand God's lordship in your life, the stewardship part comes pretty naturally, to be honest. And, and I, I say that carefully because in a second we're going to remind ourselves that gospel stewardship is not natural. It's in fact supernatural. And it's what we learned in Colossians. It's Christ living in us that brings that to bear. Like he is the one that causes that to happen And so, but that's what happens when we submit to him as Lord. Gospel stewardship actually begins to flow out of us because Christ is in us. And so we become stewards of our time, our talent, and our treasure. And that's really our hope that we do this. Now, the purpose of this series, just so you know, is not because the church is broke. Uh, You you need to know that. Like the church is not broke and God is not broke. And so we're not doing this as a fundraiser. Uh, You really need to know that this is not this. Uh, We're not doing this because we're trying to to get something from you. We want to get that out up front. The heart behind this series is simply this, that it's going to shine light into places in our hearts that we don't typically like to look. And it's going to reveal, I believe, the true condition of our souls. And I, I want you to think about this as we approach this whole series and certainly today. And I don't think I, I hope this doesn't offend you, but I want to ask you church going people is Jesus your Lord? You have to answer that question. If Jesus is your Lord, then I got great news. This series is not going to be that bad. <laughs> you're, gonna, you're gonna, But if Jesus, if you've been following Jesus and going to church and appreciating his good teaching and the benefits that come to your life, if you've seen him as a, as a pathway to blessing in your life rather than the blessing itself. If you've seen him as a source of good things rather than the good thing, if you've seen, seen him as, as a good teacher or a great example or anything like that, a beneficial person to admire in your life, if that's the case, Looking at money with the microscope, looking at how we handle our stewardship, is going to reveal that to us in a crystal clear way. And, and to be honest, I don't think we're all going to love everything we see there, but Jesus went there, so we're going to go there, okay? This is not easy, but we're going to go there. And so we want you to know that, that this is the deal. Now, we as Americans, I believe, are in unique danger when it comes to this issue. We really are. I think we're in danger of falling into sort of the Christian version of the American dream uh, where we find comfort and satisfaction through materialism. And, And because we live in such an affluent nation I mean, we, we have a tendency to gravitate towards that. But in the end, here's what we know. And we know this from several things we'll look at later, like the life of Solomon and other places. People far richer than us who've been able to look a square in the eye and say, it's vanity. It's, at the end of that, it's going to actually leave you more thirsty. It's going to leave you more empty. You can pursue materialism all you want. But in the end, it's going to betray you. And you're going to be in despair because you wasted the resources that you had. We have this opportunity wherever you're at in your life, and I don't care if you're you know, later on or right at the beginning. Young couples starting out, man, you get to hear this right now. You get to dig in, man. I'm just praying that we can be the kind of stewards of our life that God desires us to be. Now, here's the thing: some of us think, well, some of us are obsessed with treasure. Y'all like the pirate movies, um, and <laughs> those Disney pirates, meet Pirates of the Caribbean. They're like, you're obsessed with treasure. I think I think we all are, actually. We're we're all a little bit obsessed with treasure, and here's what I want to say: is that's not bad. You're made that way. the The catch is, and this is the deal with stewardship, is we got to reveal the false gold from the real treasure. And when you start seeing that God desires treasure for you, and that's not a wrong desire. That you, when you look at your resources, when you look at your life as it is right now, and there's something in you that says, "I need a little bit more." Can I speak this to you? You're right. There's a longing in our hearts for heaven. There's a longing in our hearts for home that this world cannot satisfy. And if you ask it to, it'll eventually betray you. And you'll find yourself chasing a mirage like out in the desert, and you'll dive right into a bunch of sand thinking it was gonna satisfy your thirst. And in the end, it won't. So the the deal is, yes, we are obsessed with treasure. That itself is not bad. We just have to make sure that we know what the treasure is, and maybe better saying who the treasure is. And when we begin to get that right, Suddenly, stewardship becomes normal and normative to the Christian life. The, the series we're, not, we're going through here is we get this. This is not for the Christian elite to figure out. This is basic. This is what we as believers have to yield ourselves to. In fact, the heart of it is, is exactly what salvation is. Remember in Colossians, just as you received him, so walk in him. We yielded to him as Lord of our lives. We gave him everything and he saved us. That actually happened, though. We ceased to be owners of our own life, and now he is. And the crazy thing is, is that as, as difficult and challenging and confusing and scary as this life is, we can trust our God to supply every one of our needs. And that's not easy to do, but we really can. And so stewardship comes to basically getting to this truth that he is actually Lord. And we all seek treasure. The, the catch is that some of us are trading the real treasure for trinkets that moss will eventually eat and rust will eventually destroy. And so when we say, we say this and we're going through this series, this is not a fundraiser. This is a lifesaver. Uh, I'll remind you of this again in a second, but this, this stewardship issue is not God's plan to pay for the church. It's his plan to free the church from materialism. And so if you think that we're up here trying to fundraise, we're really not. God doesn't need your money or mine. or I mean, he can handle it. Like he really can Like there's no doubt about it. He can do what he sets out to do. Right? It's our joy To yield to his commands and experience the blessing that comes with walking with him in his ways. So we're going to get into the stewardship thing. And uh, Dave Ramsey and those guys. In fact, we've got a class that's coming around the corner in January. We're really excited about that. And I hope that you'll make plans in January to take that. But they give this definition. A guy Chris Brown, who works with them, says stewardship is managing God's blessings, God's way for God's glory. And when we recognize that every aspect of life is a blessing from God, our perspective on ownership drastically changes. With this perspective, we intentionally worship Christ as we seek to glorify him in our management of his provisions, including our management of our Christian influence. I really love that. Stewardship is managing God's blessings, God's way for God's glory. I think it's awesome. So we're going to really dig in and look at that. And so today we're going to we're going to dig into uh, Matthew or excuse me, Mark 10, where we're going to look at a Jesus encounter with a rich young man. But before we do that, I think we need to deal with this word rich. And, and, and really take a step back And be reminded of a couple things that are true I know when we hear that word rich Several things go through our mind I, I had the privilege of going to Kenya with Steve And we had the chance to do a, a, An awesome youth camp there Steve's Spirits planted uh, a, a seminary that trained about 80 pastors And over time they planted a bunch of churches And they have youth camps where, where students from a lot of those churches Will come together And so I was super honored to be there And they had a couple, of, uh, couple hundred Students from Kenya, all over the place, gathering there in Karatina, sort of the hub. And we're meeting in this church that Mama and Papa built. I mean, that's an intimidating place to do ministry. I'm just being honest, man. The bar is high. And so I, I know, like, it was crazy. We would get there early in the morning. We would preach for three hours. Then they would have lunch. Steve and I would go back and forth. They'd preach for an hour and a half. I'd preach an hour and a half. A couple times we did, like, three hours each. And then I think, he took before lunch, I think after lunch, which is easy for him. But just You know, you ever notice that about him? Just gushes out. It's just the overflow. Uh, so I'm sweating bullets, you know, and uh, but he's just, you know, just being steep. And uh, but we we get to to go have lunch with the students that are there, and you know the the cafeteria area is basically a, a, a concrete floor in the back with some some stoves that are on the floor, right? And they've got some boilers and different things where where they're starting fires and, and boiling rice and boiling beans and different things. And like once a week they, at youth camp, it's got kind of a big night they get chicken. I think it was the night they had chicken in the in the rice and beans where a young kid uh, asked me this, one of the seniors over there, and I love sitting with them, we'd ask questions. And this this one one turned to me and we're sitting and having this conversation with about six or eight of us, and one of them asked me a question that completely off, caught me off guard. He said, He said, Pastor Eric, are you rich? And I immediately said, No, no, I'm not rich at all. Like, you should be in my country, like you understand, like how much about And like I got about two sentences in and I was like I'm sorry. And like the blood drained out of my face. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I said, please forgive me. Yes, I'm rich. I'm very rich. I said, I have way more than I need. Way more than I need. I said, I, I, I apologize. I said, I, I look around and I see people that have so much more than I do. And I know that sounds crazy, but it's real. And I think I'm not one of the rich people. And I, and I think for us, as we look at this passage, I think what we have to understand is that when, when we deal with this, we can always imagine who the rich people are. It's always someone who has a little bit more than us, right? And, and it's easy. So we can always step back and say this doesn't speak to us. But if I can be honest and say this, that when the people out in the world, if you go globally and say, you know, who is rich? You throw out the word rich and they picture you and I. They picture us. And and I thought I'd take a second and I would look at this because the idea is not to make us feel guilty, but to get a grip on this for a second. And I, I found this really crazy site called the Global Rich List, and I realized that what they claim, and I, I realize there are competing statistics out there, and you'll you'll go out and Google this and you'll find stuff that says something different. I did the best I can. Uh, you can believe everything on the internet, right? Um, but <laughs> but I did the best I could. And, and from this side, the Global Rich List, which uh, they they certainly are biased to reveal how wealthy we are. They said a $32,400 annual income would place us in the top 1% in the world amongst earners. That salary puts you in the top 1% in the world, $32,400, which is crazy to me. So I started thinking about this and, and, the wealth that we have is, is pretty intimidating, too. The typical adult in India claims about $7,000 in net worth total assets in India. The average African claims just over $4,000 in total assets. A European, the average European uh, from this side says about $145,000 in total assets in net worth. But the average American has $400,000. Dollars worth of network. Now that sounds amazing to me. It's hard for me to wrap my head around, but apparently uh, that is true, and or something close to it. Isn't that amazing? We have that kind of wealth in our country. And so I, I, I stepped back and I found some other statistics. What I did is I Googled. Okay, because that's how you find out real truth. Um, I Googled the average. The average income for a school teacher in Gilmer. So, if you're a school teacher and you know better than this, then I apologize. This is the best I have. They they guessed just over forty-one thousand uh, dollars. And and in this, what we see with this plugged in uh, from a teacher's salary here in Gilmer County, they are are in the top less than half a percent of global earners. Isn't this amazing? So there's only really I don't know more. There's probably more than. 25 million people that actually make more. Let's go to the next slide. I'll show you this. This is crazy to me. In Ghana, if that's your salary, then you're earning $41,346 in one year, and it would take the average laborer in Ghana 258 years to make what you made last year. It'd be 2,277. That's crazy. So let's go to the next one. Check this out. So your monthly income could pay the monthly salaries for 155 doctors in Kazakhstan. That's an unbelievable fact, isn't it? Let's just keep going. Here's another one. This is in Ghana, where we talked about before. If you make $23.44 an hour, which, which, you know, hey, that's good. But in Ghana, they're making $0.08. And right here, you see this in Zimbabwe, the workers we were talking about where it took 258 years. It takes you a minute and 40 seconds to earn enough money to buy Coke. It takes them an hour and seven minutes to earn enough to buy a Coke. So when we look at this, and you can get past these, when we look at these truths and we see the amount that God has given us, we realize that in this passage, when it's talking about those who are rich and when the world hears the word rich, like we come to mind. They're thinking about us. You're in the top 1%. I know there's a lot to consider uh, with the cost of living here and different things. And, And Gilmer County is actually very high on the list of poverty because our cost of living is so high. And I want to be sensitive to that and certainly sensitive to all of you who are in financial difficulties. But I want you to know that even some of us who are in Financial difficulties have a standard of life with transportation, with great and healthy food all around us, with health care, with the ability to do a lot of things that we do, that we are very much what the world would consider rich. And so, as we get this, the the goal is not to make us feel guilty. Good stewardship is not fueled by guilt. And that's not how we're going to do it here in our church. It's not going to be fueled by guilt. Good stewardship is fueled by grace and a perspective that comes through the gospel. Listen, when you realize all that Christ has done for you, then it becomes natural for you to want to handle your life in a way that honors him. So uh, let's get into these now that we kind of know who we are and where we are. We're in Mark chapter 10. uh, We're going to start in verse 17. And as we said, we're dealing with an encounter that Jesus had with a rich young man. And so uh, let's not waste any more time. Let's get to this. It says that, As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, and speaking of Jesus here, good teacher. Talked about this already, right? Y'all see some red flags. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Amazing question. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know, the commandments do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Right, mom and dad. My mom and dad's here. That's, that's pretty cool, right? So I did my best. Still trying. Is that, and, and he said to him, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. He saying, Jesus, yeah, I know the commandments I, I, from my youth. I did my best to keep those commandments. And Jesus, catch this, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, see, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now and this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions And in the age to come, eternal life, but many who are first will be last and the last first. So there's a few things that we need to get. And I'm so grateful for the ministry of David Platt. If you haven't been a part of listening to some of the things that he has shared, he's just an incredible minister who wrote the book Radical. And that book really changed my life. He, He calls the American dream, the Christian version of the American dream uh, for what it is. And it's a lie. And he has spoken some incredible truths that have challenged me in a very deep way. And I want to share with those in, the, in a personal way uh, some of the truths that we can get from this. And I pray that this will help you through this. So the first thing I want to get is this, that, that the call to salvation is a call to surrender to Jesus as Lord. We've been over this a little bit in the intro. You get this, right? The call to salvation is a call to surrender to Jesus as Lord, And so if you look at this encounter that Jesus has with this wealthy, uh, young leader, and as he approaches him, he asks this, he says, how can I be saved? Like, this is the perfect question, right? If you've ever hung out in, in church and you've been asked to go out and do evangelism, like, this is the ideal situation. My dad and I were talking about, it was so funny, he was telling the story, he told it before, uh, a story going out and doing personal evangelism. And how you weren't in the right mood, right frame of mind, but God, if you were available, you went out there, and the guy says, well... And dad says, well, would you like to know how to be saved? And he said, yeah, <laughs> Like, tell me. So perfect, perfect situation, right? Where you, you get those kind of questions. And, and we've taught people how to answer that question when they get there, right? Like we want to go and go through the Romans road or however we go through that. And there's a procedure, but look at what Jesus does. He says, he says, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. That's That's what Jesus says there. So some of us like, with our training, we'd be like, if this was anybody but Jesus in this passage, some of us would be like, wow, you really messed that up. Like, he did that totally wrong. Like, where's the gospel in that? Why don't you talk about forgiveness or grace or anything? Instead, he just totally turns a flashlight on this guy. And he's, he's, he's like, hey, you know, give everything away. Yeah. And, and this is the reason why. And I say this. You've got to come to Jesus as Lord. And I said that this is primarily about lordship. This encounter is primarily about lordship. This rich young man who had so, so much, he valued that. And when Jesus said, give it all away instantly, how he handled his finances, how he handled his stewardship and possessions revealed the condition of his heart. And that was the the reality that he would rather have stuff than Jesus. Jesus said, you can come and follow me. Now, listen, some of you guys, you love Jesus with all your heart and you're just desperate for the day when you will see him face to face. And if Jesus told some of you, and I've seen it in your lives, I've watched you live this out. If he said, give it all away and come and follow me. Some of you guys would be so overjoyed and be like, I don't want this stuff anyway. I get to follow my savior. But this revealed something different that's going on in this young man's heart where he said, I can't I want Jesus as a good teacher. I want him as a good advisor. I want his financial advice. I'd like for him to chime into my life. But I want to step back and I want to evaluate what he has to say and say, thank you for your input, Jesus. I'll make the final decision here. This is is the route we're going to take. Really glad we talked, Jesus. That's not the attitude that we have when we give our lives to Christ. Do you realize what we've been saved from? We have been rescued in every way you can be rescued. We've been brought to life from the dead. And no, no, you did nothing. No more than a dead guy did to raise himself back to life. That's it. Jesus has saved you and rescued you and sent his son to die for you. And he's given you forgiveness and hope and a kingdom and placed his spirit inside of you and offered you heaven. And we're like, "Mm, I got stuff, right? And we see this, and he's like, I don't know if I can trust you. Really? Like, I mean, after I just say all that, this is why gospel stewardship. I'm not sure I can trust you. Now, he didn't know how all this was going to play out, but we do. Now, the problem is here, this guy honestly really didn't think he needed forgiveness. He's like, well, I've kept all the commands. I don't actually need forgiveness. I've got it all sorted out, right? He's pretty proud of himself. I just need a little help to get over the hump. But in reality, Jesus is like, oh, you're perfect, right? Can I show you something? Go sell everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it said he went away sorrowful, but I'm sure by the time he got home, he probably wasn't dumb. He probably realized what had happened, and he saw his heart. I, I, you know, hope that things worked out for him later. But in reality, here's the truth that Romans ten nine says this: If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is great teacher, trusted advisor, a lot of what we call Christianity is is not. We don't confess Jesus as a good helper to achieve what we want. He's not the pathway to blessing. Listen, he is the blessing. And when we see this, it says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Lord, And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Listen. If you're a Christian. Ownership has changed. He is now Lord. And sometimes we play games with that. But it's time for us to do this and look at this. So when Jesus says this. The call to salvation is a call to surrender to Jesus as Lord. We're going to pick up the pace here. The second thing is that Jesus calls his followers to trust and obey, and this is what I'm hitting on right now, and this is the, the reality of this that Jesus gives this guy some pretty intense commands. In in verse 21, it says five commands: go, sell everything you have, give to the poor, come, and follow me. Like that's a, that's a lot. He just gave that guy right. That's that's a bunch. And and maybe you feel like he's asking kind of too much. And so, what do we actually do with this passage? And I'm grateful for some teaching I've got on this. And and, and here's the, the bottom line is that when Jesus says something very, very difficult, we tend to do one of two things. Either we want to universalize that for everyone or we want to minimize that so that it affects no one. Right. And so if we universalize this truth and say it's God's plan for every one of us to right now go sell everything we have and give it to the poor. And we say that is a command, not just for this guy, but for each of us. The second you're saved, you trade everything like that's That is not. That's stretching this passage a bit far. And how do we know? Because Jesus is standing with disciples that probably still own things. I mean, they had potentially houses, some apparently still own some boats. They had something to go fishing with later. Uh, they had resources. Some of they had funding of some level. Like we get this that that these guys weren't completely without worldly possessions. So uh, this has actually been kind of a uh, an error that was taught over the years, where we felt like, well, as Christians, we're not allowed to own worldly possessions, and that we're to renounce all of them. Uh, and actually live that out with nothing and have nothing. And uh, in reality, that doesn't really square with the rest of scripture, okay? And so if we universalize this and say, this is for everyone, it goes a bit too far. But if we, if we step back and say, man, I'm glad you said that because I was not gonna do it. <laughs> but before you get too excited, understand that, that we have this tendency to minimize it. And we say, well, Jesus would never ask any of us to do that. He just wanted him to, to say that he would be willing to sell everything he had. And give it to the poor. And I heard. Uh, this is just this reality. If if Jesus meant. That we only were supposed to kind of. Have happy feelings when he said that. That's probably what he would have said. Instead he said. Hey go sell it. Like have it, Let it go. And then come and follow me. That's what he said. And we have to assume since Jesus can't lie. That that's what he meant right. So we get that. So if he means that. That means that it's quite possible that he may ask some of us to do that at some point. He certainly asked more than just this one guy to do that. There were many people in his ministry that he asked to do that. So I, I, our American version of Christianity, we think he would never ask us to do that. In fact, the whole point of Christianity is to get wealthy and healthy. Why would he take my stuff away? The, the preacher said I could get more from him. Like Why is this backwards? And this is what I say to you, like, we have to understand that that Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses and forfeits himself? In Luke 14, he said to a whole crowd of people, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And that's really what the change of ownership looks like. It's God, I renounce ownership of all of this. And and the thing is that, the craziest thing is that God lets us, this is stewardship. He lets us keep a lot of it, but it doesn't belong to us anymore. And if he says, give it away, we have to give it away because it's not ours. And if he blesses us and says, keep it, then we enjoy that and leverage that. For the glory of God, that his kingdom spreads to the nations. That's what we do. So we can universalize that or minimize that. And Neither of those is what we're supposed to do. But we have to understand this, that ownership has changed. And we have to trust and obey God. We trust that he is able to take care of us even when he asks us to do extreme things. And I'm thankful in a certain sense that God's never asked me to do that because I know it would be hard. But in the same sense, I have to remind myself that if he asked me to do that, then it'll actually give me more joy than if I didn't. And I don't know how to explain that, but that's what happens when you follow Christ and He is in you. So the third thing, I'll say this, that Jesus commands us to give generously because he loves us. This is why he does this. And I know this is challenging, but it says in this passage, it says, Jesus looked at this wealthy young man and loved him. And when Jesus sees him, he he loved him enough to say this. And we we look at this and we think, wow, I don't know about this. I don't know if I can trust God, because it sounds like what you're saying is, is that you want me to entrust everything I own to God because he wants to make me miserable and unhappy. And he just wants to mess with me. Like, why would God do that? And in truth, it's this that Jesus knows the danger of riches and how prone we are to the deception that this is all there is, right? He knows that we routinely will forfeit our lives for more stuff, for bigger stuff, for upgrades, only to realize in the end that it's vanity. And he also knows this. This is the Jesus looking at this man who loves us, who's giving us this truth. He knows that one day we will see him face to face. And whatever difficult thing he's asked us to do in regards to stewardship, we will look at him. And I don't care how challenging and crazy it was while you were here on earth. When you see his face, you will thank him for what he did and what he asked of you. See, here's the thing. Stewardship and and giving is all about him uprooting this lie in our hearts that we should live for this life. Building our own little kingdoms rather than laying down our lives in order to build his kingdom. And so I know some of you you think you've got this figured out. So I get it. Okay, so God wants me just to be miserable now so that I can be happy later. I got that. That's what everybody tells me all the time. Be miserable now so I can be happy later. Sounds about right, right? Thanks, God. Can I? No! That reveals a deeper assumption in your heart. Okay? And listen, listen. If you think that God is just keeping you miserable now so that you get a reward later, then then your assumption is, is messed up. Because here's the thing, Jesus, we keep saying this, Jesus is not your ticket to the reward that your heart really desires. He is the reward that your heart really desires. It's true. You may not believe me, but Jesus is better than money. And so when he's telling this guy Give away everything so that you can have me. He's doing this because he loves this guy. And he wants him to have joy and fulfillment and hope and peace. And to not have to look back at his life and say, I wasted it. This is a loving God saying, give it away. It's wrecking you. It's like a disease in your soul. It's like drinking salt water. It is drying you out from the inside. Let go of it and come and live and be free. This is what Jesus is trying to do in him. It's because he loves them. not trying to make him miserable now listen joy comes now it's not just for heaven when we walk with god in stewardship with him and yield our resources everything that we are and everything that we have to him the fun begins now and i know that sounds crazy for some of you who who may not think that way but it really does it really does listen uh, jesus speaks to his disciples and followers in a few different places and in luke 12 uh verses 22 through 34 you know swallow hard you can get this but he says to his disciples jesus is going right at this attitude that jesus is a a pathway to gain rather than the the treasure himself listen for this heart in luke 12 22. he says therefore i tell you do not be anxious about your life what you will eat nor about your body or what you'll put on for life is more than food <laughs> sometimes he tells it like it is right sometimes i don't even believe that uh, <laughs> And the body more than clothing. Just consider the ravens. They never are neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And then you are not able to do as small thing as that. Why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. He says, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you're to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and the Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom. These things will be added to you. Listen to this tender words from our savior, our shepherd. Fear not little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. With a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is there will your heart be also. Oh, man, what wisdom from our God. He, he looks and Christ, the incarnate God, says to his people, it's like all over the world. Everyone is looking around for what they're going to eat and what they're going to wear. And what you have to do is trust me, my beloved little flock, that I know that I made you. I know you need those things. If you would just spend your passion, if you would just spend your energy, your pursuit on my kingdom, you'll lack for nothing. I'm going to make sure you have what you need. Everything's going to work out. And it's my good pleasure, listen to this little flock, to give you a kingdom. I don't know, Jesus. I got this cool thing going here. I got a 401k. I don't know when car is pretty sweet like i'm really digging my house right now and upgraded my phone it's awesome (laughs) i know you got a kingdom and all but what i got going on is pretty good does that make any sense at all it really doesn't does it that's what i say when lordship takes root in our hearts stewardship becomes kind of like it it makes sense it's like it would be dumb go around chasing those things we just see it for what it is right and all of a sudden we're like okay god i get it like you're gonna take care of me that this life is not about trying to achieve accumulation of all sorts of stuff and so we say this the fourth thing that, that good stewardship is motivated by the gospel and not guilt and i think we're making this clear i don't need to hang out here very long you're getting this but jesus says it is really hard for rich people like you and i to come to him to enter the kingdom and it's because we don't Get this. And, and honestly, I think all over, if you go to different you know, places and you flip on the TV, people will try and get you to, to give out of guilt. They'll make you feel bad about something that's going on. And, and listen, I guess there's some things that should shock us and should do something in our hearts that calls us into action. Sometimes that can be a good thing, uh, I guess. But the bottom line is that, you know, our, our giving, our stewardship in our lives it's not rooted in emotion it's not rooted in how compelling a need is it's not it's not coming in in compulsion it's because we've set a course in our life because we've seen the gospel we have gospel perspective so we walk in gospel stewardship and because that happens we're able to yield to him every part of our lives without holding anything back and it's tricky I mean, so much so where the disciples who were standing right next to it and then falling around, they're like, well, who can be saved? Who can do this? Like, this makes no sense. This is impossible. Jesus literally said, it's easier for a camel to stroll through an the eye of a needle, just to walk right through. And they're sitting there. they kind of understood what he meant by that. It was like, how are gonna happen? It's, it, it would be a miracle if it happened, right? And the same is true for us when we get this. I mean, when God leads us in his incredible way, he sanctifies us from the inside out. When Christ in us takes root, it is not possible for us to let go of everything we believe is given us security and significance, comfort, and satisfaction. We can't let it go. You know, the scene of the end of the Lord of the Rings, we're trying to drop the ring, like it's just by accident that it falls in. None of the characters were able to throw it. Like we need a rescue. We can't let it go. So God in his infinite wisdom puts Christ in us and allows him to do the impossible in us. And we're able to surrender what we have and make him Lord of our life. And what Jesus says is if you're doing that, I'm gonna meet your needs. In fact, I'm gonna supply everything you need even later and there will be blessing. The fifth thing is this, a gospel is advanced, not through extravagant living, but extravagant giving. Now, David Platt said this, I love it. I want you to hear this because I think it's just really important extravagant living is kind of the system of the old testament if you go back i'm not going to read it to you if you get in deuteronomy 28 god says if you will faithfully obey the voice of the lord i'm going to just overwhelm you with blessings he's like blessed you're going to be in the field and the fruit of your womb and ground and cattle i'm going to increase everything all over the place he said i'm gonna i'm gonna dump all of that into you all right i'm gonna give you blessing because of your spiritual obedience and the plan was that blessing would come to Israel, that he would elevate their status, that people would see how God was blessing them. And they would come and turn to the one true God, right? They would see the pitiful nature of their little false God, see the true God and yield to him, worship him and love him. And they gathered together these treasures to display the glory of God in the temple of God. Right. In the Old Testament, God blessed people to be a blessing. He does that now, but it's slightly different. God's material blessings were promises or a reward for their obedience. That promise is not reiterated in the New Testament. We do have the same God, but there are no guarantees that that wealth is going to come flying into us. Now, I have experienced incredible financial blessings from God all my life. I mean, look at us. Right. I mean, we have that. But but he doesn't guarantee all of those things in that sense that the accumulation of wealth so that he can lead us to extravagant living. So where people can look at our lives and be like, wow, that dude has a jet. He must really. If you have, I need to listen to what he has to say, right? And listen, there are things to learn from successful people, right? And we should we should listen. But on the same hand, here's the reality that if, if that's sort of the, the thing that you've heard, it's not really the deal. Now, this pattern was true in Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, Solomon. Sorry, I can't go into who all those people are. But this is why the disciples were exceedingly astonished when Jesus said this, because up till now... Uh, They looked at riches as the the sort of endorsement of God. Wow, you've been doing it right. So here's this blessing that you have in your life. And so they stood back and they were like, well, if the rich people can't get in the kingdom of heaven, then who can? These are the people that have sort of gotten it right that God has blessed. But Jesus flips everything upside down. And so he's suggesting that obedience is not necessarily a pathway to guaranteed more possessions but a call to leverage the possessions we are blessed with through giving for the spread of the gospel. Instead of hoarding it all and putting it all in one place, we're, we become, uh, they gathered up resources to display the glory of God in the temple. But when Jesus fulfilled the law and the, the veil was torn, now we are the temple of God, Right? And now instead of accumulating all that, we become the ones that are dispersing the grace and mercy of God in us. And so the gospel is spread out not through Christians obtaining extravagant living and saying, look what I got. It's saying God has called me to extravagant giving and I'm going to let that flow through me as a conduit for God's blessing all around me. God still, yes, he may bless you incredibly financially. But what happens when he does that is that is a call to gospel stewardship that we leverage our possessions through giving that's it's so important that we get that so we have our expectations right and there's more to say there but the last thing i'll mention is this and this is the warning and this is why this is crucial we get this that the love of money will destroy us it will and as americans we probably are more infected like we we don't realize we have the virus but we grew up in this culture and we are hit with it in the same way i didn't know what was in my heart until that kenyan a high school student asked me if I was rich and my, my immediate reaction revealed something about my heart that I didn't know. And I think that what we need to look hard at and see is that that there is absolutely danger in this. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul speaks to a young pastor, Timothy, he's training. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. And he, he goes and explore or I guess explains Some of the difficulties of some people that are giving Timothy problems. He says there's constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved, deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Paul says to Timothy, there's people out there that are imagining that godliness is a means to gain. He said, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. If we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. For those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And it's through this craving, craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Listen, Jesus is entrusting or inviting us to entrust everything to him. Because he loves us and for our good. And when we can begin to allow Christ to be elevated in our life, our love for him will eventually overshadow our love for money. You're not going to be able to go home and turn down the knob of your love for money by itself. The only hope that we have is to turn up the knob of Jesus, to elevate Jesus to his proper place, to lift him higher and higher and higher and higher and higher in our lives. And part of the way we do that is by giving and practicing sacrificing for other people, of yielding some of our resources. And as we do that, what we see is that God jesus himself we begin to see that as we invest our treasure that our heart becomes more with him and we begin to see him as the treasure not as the pathway to more treasure and when we get that man the love of money gets uprooted in us and replaced by the love of our savior listen jesus is not trying to deprive us of joy jesus is trying to supply us with joy and that's why stewardship is so important, because this can absolutely destroy our lives. We can't wait until it's too late to realize that it's a mirage, that God has offered us a kingdom. We don't need to trade the real treasure in for trinkets that one day moths are going to eat and that rust is going to destroy. Listen. say this again stewardship is not god's plan to pay for his church it's god's method, god's method of freeing his church from materialism and love of the world it's a daily weekly opportunity to let go and we need that reminder even as if you've been believers for a while and, and, and let me just sort of how do we apply this to our life today well here's the bottom line for those of you who've been christians we have this tendency, those of us who have been following Jesus to become accustomed to what we have and begin to want to take back ownership and imagine that we have ownership when we've actually not, we've already given it away. And it's important for us to step back and say, God, I once again, I'm here to yield my possessions to you, to do with as you wish, to leverage them for the gospel. Whatever it is you desire to do through me, it is yours. And if you let me keep it all, I'll thank you. And if you call me to give it away, I'll thank you. And wherever you leave me, whatever it is you ask me to do, I'll give you glory. Listen, if that's what God's calling you to do, man, I encourage you to do that. Listen, living for this life is just, it's such a waste. I mean, you, you get this, right? I mean, if you were to, to go on vacation, right? And you went to... Let's say you went to Ireland and you got this really cool hotel, but it needed some items, right? You wouldn't go out to the store and spend all of your fortune trying to decorate that hotel room that you were going to have for a week, right? But stuff you couldn't take home, it would be silly. You you know, if if your wife was starting to do that, you'd be like, sweetie, we can't take that home. (laughs) It it doesn't fit in the suitcase. That's where we are. This life is a breath. It's going to be over. And we're going to spend eons upon eons upon eons. With Jesus, who has given us a kingdom. We will never regret trusting God with our possessions. Not when we see him. Now, there are people who could speak to this better than I can. But I can trust his word, same as you, right? And we can say, God, wherever you call us to, we know you can lead us into. So I ask you this, are you ready to recognize Jesus as Lord? Are you ready to give him ownership? Like, really? Are you ready to recognize him as the sole authority in your life? And if that's what you desire right now, if the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, then don't wait for me to stop talking. Right now, bow your head and you just tell him, Jesus, you are Lord. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. You are my Savior. Listen, he can be that because he died on the cross for you. He has paid the penalty for your sins so that you can receive forgiveness by grace through faith not by your own works but because he has done it all there's so much to say about what this conversation with this rich young young leader here about the the commandments but man jesus it's clear he wanted to see his need for a savior and listen maybe this conversation does the same thing it may have done in this young man you realize that you really do need a savior come to him and say god i have i have veered off and I need you to come and save me. He will do that. You pray right now wherever you are. You don't need my magic words. It's, it's following Jesus as the Lord, not necessarily reciting something, somebody else's words. You got it? Go to him and just yield to him. Tell him he's the Lord. Let him have your life. He will indwell you and begin to do what is impossible for man. He will begin to do in you because it is so easy for him. And you will stroll like a camel through the eye of a needle into the kingdom of the one true God, and you'll never regret it a day. We want to thank you one more time for taking the time to listen to these messages that God's provided our fellowship. We believe he's doing something special among us and would love for you to be a part of it. We hope that you'll take the time to come and visit us in person someday soon, and we invite you to visit our website, covenantcommunityelege.com. There you'll find information on how to contact us if you have a prayer request or if there's a specific way we can minister to you and your family. Until then, God bless you.